Star, Hani Massoud, Robbie Karen, Mike DeFilippo, Peter Cruz, and Miguel Naguera, our special, our engineer. Special thanks to Becca Staley, Nick Gilla, Hugh Grant, Samantha Chambly, I mean Goodman, with Sharif Abdelkadir. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, I'm Trevor Thomas, and you're listening to KSKQ.org 94.9 FM. Thank you for listening to my show. If you're new, this is a variety show that includes music, old-time radio shows, thought-provoking conversations, metaphysical discourses, skits, news, and more. Coming up this hour, we will be playing music from Danny Elfman, Natalie Walker, Mark Hoppus, um, what else here, um, Fru-Fru Eels, uh, MGMT, potentially Shinetown, and the London Symphony Orchestra. We'll be doing some irrelevant news. We'll play some episodes of the old-time radio show Chicken Man, which I'm looking forward to. And in a few minutes, we'll be uh, talking about Alice in Wonderland. Um, yeah, our topic for this week's show. But first, here is Waking Dream from Natalie Walker.
That was a bit of a long intro, but um, our topic for the today is Alice in Wonderland, and um, I've actually got the Alice in Wonderland soundtrack for background music for today's topic. I'm going to try to keep that down so you can still hear me. Uh, and don't ask me how I got that. Uh, let's just assume for the purposes of our show that I got it by purchasing it. Um, so, I wanted to talk to you about Alice in Wonderland, which I actually went and saw last week. The uh, Tim Burton remake of it that just recently came out. It had Johnny Depp and a whole bunch of other people. And um, it had music by Danny Elfman, who's one of my favorite composers, uh, who you're listening to in the background right now. And his stuff usually sounds pretty similar, so um, this is most of the movies that he makes right here. Uh, And the same can be said of Tim Burton, actually. He's a man who tends to make the same type of movie every time, which usually works out. Like, for instance, uh, I can't remember the name of it, the Halloween movie that he did. <laughs> the, it's, it's right there. Anyway, it'll come to me later. Uh, most of his movies are very dark. The Nightmare Before Christmas, that was it. Very dark, a lot of deep black shadows, a lot of atmosphere, and... Um, he kind of toned it down a little bit in this movie, but for the most part, that is still there. Uh, there's some other movies he's done, like which I actually really like because of their lightheartedness and because they kind of show the scope of what he's capable of. Like, for instance, Big Fish. I thought that was a really good movie. And there's movies that you probably shouldn't go see, like the most recent version of the um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie which also starred Johnny Depp, as do so many of Tim Burton's movies. But that was not a really good adaptation. I think the original is still the best. The, um... Yeah, let's see. Alice in Wonderland, the movie that just recently came out, is, uh, I I thought was an incredibly intriguing movie. I, I found it really, really engaging, and it was actually stuck in my head for the last few days, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. Just because it was a movie that, that just gets stuck there somehow. And it's probably just me. But um, I imagine a lot of other people felt that way too. The, the atmosphere was, was very impressive. I, I felt that the, the characters and the world that he created was really believable. And it was really easy to get caught up in what was going on and what was happening. And it was really, really easy to relate it back to some of the old... Like, for instance, the cartoon that Disney did. I felt that the people in that movie reminded me very much of the cartoon versions. So it's almost like a, you know, carrying on of those same personalities and characters. So he really kept to the original source material, I thought, really well. However, this is a sequel. It's not the actual original Alice in Wonderland starring a much older version of Alice. It's a sequel not created by Lewis Carroll, a sequel completely made up by the writer and Tim Burton. Um, I don't remember who the writer was. And there's a number of new elements, one of them being the, they called it the oraculum. It's a never-ending calendar that's sort of an oracle because it kind of tells the future as well. Every day in Wonderland is apparently never the same as the day before, which I think was in the original books. They don't have... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 
they have a new name for each day. Like, for instance, Frabjus Day, which is the day that uh, the oracle is, is foretelling as being a very big day for Alice in this movie. Uh, I may give away a few things, so if you haven't seen this movie, um, well, you should go see it first and then come listen to this in our archive section at kskq.org. The, um, so, okay, so going back to the oraculum, which is the name of the, it's a very long scroll that just tells what's going to happen each day, or what has happened and what's going to happen. Um, and that's not originally in Lewis Carroll's, Carroll's works, but it is somewhat in the spirit of his original vision. Now, there's a poem that he wrote that uh, isn't, isn't really written in a language that you would understand. It's just kind of gibberish. And it's, the poem is called Jabberwocky. And that's actually what this movie is based on more than anything else in Lewis Carroll's work, uh, uh, apart from the actual characters. It's based on this poem. This is where the, the Bandersnatch comes from. This is where the dragon, the Jabberwocky, comes from. Um, it's where they got the influence for the tone of Outlandish, the language that they created. The Vorpal Sword also come from, came from the poem. It's a very odd name, Sword. And, uh, and that was the major influence for this movie. I spent some time researching all this. There, uh, and I wanted to read this poem for you, because I thought it was really interesting. But... As it was done in the movie, I'm going to read it in somewhat of a Scottish accent because it sounds like a poem that needs to be read in a Scottish accent. Don't don't ask me why. Okay, so here we go. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogrobes and the mumraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood the while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kalu kalay. He chortled in his joy. T'was brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogrobes, and the mumraths outgrabe. And that was the inspiration for the new movie. Which I don't know if, it, for those of you that have seen it, will recognize the jab, Jabberwock, the Jub Jub Bird, the Bandersnatch. I believe the Tulgy Wood is where a fight scene happened in the original, I think in the second book. And the Vorpal Sword, in this case, the Vorpal Blade, I believe. Uh, which brings us, coincidentally, to Johnny Depp who I wanted to talk about a little bit. So he's done so many different things in his acting career. I've always really admired him with his choice of movies, although recently he's picked a number of 
mainstream movies and sequels and things like that, but he does seem to make them work. But always in the past, he will pick a particular movie and then he'll turn around and pick something that's like almost the opposite genre. Uh, completely, you know, he'll do a drama and then he'll do a comedy and then he'll do a horror and then he just keeps kind of jumping around. He doesn't stick with one thing or another and I've always really admired that about him. And in this case, he decided to portray the Mad Hatter in this movie um, as being incredibly crazy, which I think everyone who's portrayed the Mad Hatter is crazy, but he did it with kind of a a bit of a twist. He he had him kind of have a somewhat of a multiple personality, and one of those personalities was this guy with this really deep Scottish accent, which I thought was really interesting because when it first came out, it didn't make any sense to me, and then it kind of grew on me as I was watching the movie, realizing you know what he was trying to do with that accent, and it was almost like there's a darker side to the Mad Hatter, like who he was in his past and what he's done and. Uh, maybe even had to fight in some wars and stuff, which they did a little bit of flashback to some of that, but I think it was more kind of the crazy stuff that's happened to him in his past. So he kind of compartmentalizes, but because of his madness, he has a really hard time doing that anymore, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I really like that accent. It's like this this crazy deep... I mean, it's it's deeper than the one I was just doing. It's just this... Like, he, he has this phrase that he says, well, uh, it's like, um, it's like, down with the blood red queen, or something, which I thought was interesting. But it gets all, like, throaty and stuff, and it's just, I, I, I like accents, so I kind of focus on that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to get into a little bit of his character. Uh, I was looking online and seeing where he got kind of his influence, and he was looking up some of the reasons, like, for instance, the phrase mad as a hatter originally came from, well, it, it's not incredibly, entirely decided on where it came from. There's a number of different suggestions, one of which being that the, um, the people that worked on hats back in the 18th and 19th centuries, they used mercury to manufacture the felt, the felt that they made the hats with, and which could be absorbed through the skin and affect the mind, the mind through things like Korsakov syndrome. And apparently hatters and mill workers often fell victim to mercury poisoning, which apparently had an orange tint, which I'm guessing is why they went with the, the really orange hair with the Mad Hatter. And the mercury poisoning being, you know, part of the reason that he's mad. So they went with kind of that as the Origin. I think Johnny Depp said, you know, he was incredibly poisoned, and that's where he kind of came from with the character, which I thought was interesting. There's some other stuff in here. Um, the um, number of different directions. Let's see. Um, in 1863, an answer of sorts was published through its author, who was at a loss to understand why a hatter should be made the type of insanity rather than tailor or a shoemaker. Readers were referred to the French phrase, and my French is a little bit bad, but I'm going to try to do this anyway. It's, il raison comme une huître, which is, he reasons like an oyster, suggesting that the French word for oyster, when anglicized, may have given occasion to the English hatter. It's interesting. Uh, there's a number of different suggestions behind that, but I thought it was really interesting how he portrayed that character 
you know, half the time being like this mad person that just doesn't necessarily know what's going on around him and just sort of floats around and then then suddenly he gets all dark and starts like spouting off like, you know, anti-government stuff and just being like crazy against the queen and all this, which was interesting. He played a much different part in the original storylines. Another thing I thought was fascinating was how actually helpful the uh, what's his what's his name the the Cheshire Cat actually was in this movie. I mean, he was actually helping people. Like he saved, uh, and this is okay. So this is where we start getting into some of the um, parts that people that haven't seen the movie shouldn't be listening to. So he actually saved the Hatter halfway through, and I guess he did that by kind of transmogrifying into, you know or morphing into the Hatter so that he looked like him. He was actually very helpful, and he would actually lead Alice where she wanted to go, and I did not remember that from the original movies and the original book. I thought that was very nice of him. But it wasn't entirely out of character, because it always seemed like he almost wanted to help but didn't quite care. And in this case, he seemed to have been given an actual reason to care about how things were working out, because they actually affected him. Which very much reminds me of my cat. The um, the White Queen was another character that I was really impressed with. Um, annoyed with at first because she you know she had her hands in the air the whole time. She's just kind of flitting around all over the place, and then she would do these weird things like she would suddenly have like a gag reflex when she's putting together like these noxious poisons, which was very weird, and I didn't quite get until I read some information. Apparently Burton based the White Queen off of an actress on a cooking show named Nigella Lawson, um, who apparently is sometimes referred to as the Queen of Food Porn. It's very weird. I don't think they mean actual, you know, stuff with food. I I think just like, yeah, you know what, I'm I'm just not going to get into that. Uh, He he previously said the Red Queen had a bit of Leona Helmsley, and Lawson's domestic goddess had an eerie edge to it at times. Times, She's really beautiful and does all this cooking, but then there's this glint in her eye. When you see it, you go, oh, whoa, she's, like, really nuts, but in a good way. Maybe. I don't know. The, um... Yeah, so... Getting back to some of the other characters, like, for instance, Alice. I was really impressed with Alice. How much she was like... She was very much like the original Alice. And Well, when I say the original, I'm talking about the Disney cartoon and the TV, the made-for-TV movie, which... Both of which I thought, you know, really kind of characterized Alice in Wonderland, especially for me, because those are what I watched when I was growing up. And there have been so many other versions, which I'm going to talk about in a second here. But um, just really quick, Alice... Impulsive, distracted, somewhat childlike, and then she becomes incredibly courageous. I mean, she just drinks that potion that the White Queen gives her. Like, she doesn't even say anything. It's got, like, dead fingers and spit and urine and stuff in it, which, wow. I, you know, I would have at least said something. And she's just like, oh, okay, I'll just drink that, and then I'll get regular size again, and it's all good. She walks across a pile of dead heads in a marsh, which... Um, you know, some parts of this movie aren't exactly for kids, but they were very realistic heads, I thought. And, um, 
yeah, and she f- she's got this crazy fight scene at the end, which I was really impressed with. I mean, I didn't see her as an action star. She was more of an adventure, jumping across toadstools and running through the woods kind of star. And then she, like, comes out in this crazy full-on gear and starts, you know, attacking this giant dragon. And she defeats him. And I thought it was really impressive how she did that. I was I, I really liked the the way that she was going back and forth with, you know, the Jabberwock or the Jabberwocky. I'm not really sure which it is, but the, um, you know, how she was psyching herself up beforehand and, and which I relate to because I think it's really important to have a positive outlook before you get into anything. And the best way to do that is just tell yourself you can do it as many times as you need to. And that's basically what she did. So that was really cool. Some of the other characters I really liked because they really fit the original ideas of them. Like the the rabbit, I thought, was very much like the rabbit from the cartoon and very much like the rabbit from the TV show, or, you know, the made-for-TV movie. And the little mouse was definitely more mousy than I, th- I remembered. The, um... Yeah, what else? I can't remember a whole lot of the other characters. The the Red Queen was basically who I remembered. I didn't remember the night guy at all. But looking back, I kind of vaguely remember him. And uh, I wish they would tell you how he got that, you know, eye patch. So they didn't allude to that in any way. Uh, he's another person I really like. Um, Crispin Glover played the, the Black Knight. I don't think that's his name in the movie, but, you know, he was the knight that was wearing black. And I like him and stuff. He's uber creepy, and he makes a really good bad guy. And, um, yeah, I was overall I was very impressed with this movie. It was definitely a departure from Tim Burton's previous films and is a movie I would actually want to watch. Um, and really quickly I'm going to go through some of the old versions of movies that they've done. They've done Alice in Wonderland so many times in the past. Uh, the first first one was in 1903. It was 68 years after Lewis Carroll published his first fantasy, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. It was a one, it was a one real silent film. And, um, and then there was a version in 1903, which was made in England, stars Mabel Clark as Alice. Cecil Hepworth is listed as the co-star, cinematographer, and co-director. 1910 version was directed by the... Um, early silent director Edwin S. Porter, and it was an American version. Uh, He did The Great Train Robbery. Uh, It was a 10-minute short. It received a thumb up from Variety, which was wonderful. Declared it was as good as the foreign film fantasies playing in the U.S. Okay. Ruth Gilbert, a stage actress who was discovered by Eugene O'Neill and later played Milton Berle's secretary, is the first talking Alice. And then in 1933, she was turned into a giant movie with Charlotte Henry, Charlotte Henry as Alice, and uh, Cary Grant as the Mark, Mock Turtle, Cary Cooper as the White Knight, Richard Arlen as the Cheshire Cat, and even W.C. Fields as Humpty Dumpty. Apparently this movie tanked, but um, it was still a huge movie at the time, um, well, in terms of how much it cost to make. Then in 1976, uh, it was turned into an adult film, which I didn't know about. The um, 
an X-rated musical version of Alice in Wonderland. With Playboy centerfold Kristen, Christine DeBell as Alice, a young woman who, after rejecting the advances of a young man named Ron Nelson, falls asleep reading Alice in Wonderland. Larry Gelman, best known as Bernie Tupperman on The Bob Newhart Show, plays the white rabbit who takes Alice down a rabbit hole into a sexually active wonderland. The movie was a huge hit, making some $90 million worldwide. Three years later, it was given an R rating after a few minutes were snipped. There was also the cartoon, the Disney-made cartoon, which I was talking about before. There's the made-for-TV movie, which I really loved. I I thought that was a great... um, made-for-TV movie, and I still have that. And there was a video game, American McGee's Alice. American McGee is the name of the person who made the video game, not part of the video game title. And it was a very dark version of Alice in Wonderland. Um, I think she was in an insane asylum, so it takes part like halfway through there. Her house burned down, her parents died, and so when she goes back to Alice in Wonderland, it's this very, very dark version of her psyche that she has to, like, fight bad guys through. And I thought it was really interesting at the time. It wasn't a very good game, but it was a very interesting take. I heard since then they're going to try to do the same thing with the Wizard of Oz series, which I think would be interesting. I would love to see them remake that, you know, in a way that's worthy of the characters. I actually grew up reading that show. Quickly, there's a... A few quotes from the movie, which I really like. See, well, in Out Country, said Alice, still panting a little, you generally get to somewhere else if you ran very fast, for a long time, as we've been doing. A slow sort of country, said the queen. Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. I like Alice in Wonderland because it can be taken a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different morals in there. There's a lot of different political statements for the time. There's a lot of hidden gems throughout the storyline, which you really have to pay attention to, to find. And, yeah, you know, I think almost everyone at this point knows that, well, it may still be up for debate, but I'm pretty sure Lewis Carroll was on some sort of drugs when he was writing this. Um, at the very least... Reading this or watching the movie when you're on drugs has got to be incredibly entertaining. Not that I'm recommending that. Unless it's like NyQuil or something. Um, Here's another one. Who are you, said the caterpillar. This was not an encouraging opening for conversation. Alice replied rather shyly, "I, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning. But I think I must have been changed several times since then. Which is interesting, and I think all of us could probably say that if we really think about it. There's another quote. Um, Actually, this isn't a quote from the book, but it's often mistakenly referred to as being from the book, and I like it a lot, which is why I'm throwing it in here. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. I love that quote. I think it's awesome. And... um, yeah, we, we seem to have run out of music. That's okay. We've got talking instead. Um, there's a couple of other things that I think are interesting. In physics, physicists have used Hatterian concepts, often citing this quotation, If you knew time as well as I do, said the Hatter, you wouldn't think about wasting it. It's him. The physicist Robert A. 
Milliken was quoted in 1932 saying that the Hatter was not mad when he gave to time changeable, undependable, capricious qualities, which we assign to personality. Which, knowing a good deal about metaphysics and quantum physics at this point, I would tend to agree with him. And furthermore, who is the nearer right, the Mad Hatter or the common sense citizen? I would probably agree with that too. The Hatter is focused on time, understandably, since the Queen of Hearts has accused him of being a time murderer. This added heft to the theory that the top hat wearing inventor, Theophilus Carter, was the inspiration for the Mad Hatter. It's a theory, but um, Mr. Carter had displayed his alarm clock bed, which was supposed to tip the sleeper out at the correct time at the great exhibi- exhibition in Hyde Park in 1851. <laughs> I like that invention. I think I was watching something somewhere else where there was another one where, like, they have a pillow that combs your hair while you sleep. I like that. Um, also, apparently, number 42 was Lewis Carroll's favorite number. Alice recites her four times table, which is incredibly confusing, so I'm not going to try it again. But um, apparently, if you do it right, it would work out to 42. Rule 42 in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is all persons more than a mile high need to leave the court. 42 in the Code of the Prefets, the hunting of the snark. No one shall speak to the man at the helm. And then in Fit the First of the Hunting of the Snark, the baker had 42 boxes all carefully packed with his name painted clearly on each. This also shows up in a number of other people's, like Douglas Adams apparently really liked Lewis Carroll. He said number 42 was the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. He also named his radio series Fits, um, you know, in dedication to Lewis Carroll, which we will be playing at some point later in the future. Uh, It's also the result given by the web search engines, Google, Wolfram Alpha, and Microsoft's Bing, when the query, the answer to life, the universe, and everything, is entered as a search. So you should go try that on Google. 42 is one of the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42 featured in Lost. So for everyone who likes Lost, it's the number tied to the character Quan. Um... Skip past some of the rest of the stuff here. The uh, my favorite quote here: "The White Rabbit put on his spectacles. Where shall I begin, please, Your Majesty?" he asked. "Begin at the beginning," the king said gravely. "Go on until you come to the end, and then stop."
And now it's time for a classic commercial break. Chandu, the magician. Visit their website at www.sojwj.org. KSKQ thanks Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice for supporting community radio. You're listening to KSKQ LP 94.9. So, um, instead of doing the uh, news, which I'm sure you were all looking forward to, I'm just going to go ahead and skip ahead of that because I think we have some really awesome songs instead. You're not missing anything. It's going to be irrelevant anyway. So don't worry too much about that. Instead, we're going to skip right on into our radio show. And now for something completely different. So, <clears throat> this is Chicken Man, the uh, most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. Program, a few interesting facts. The program was revived in 1973 as Chicken Man vs. the Earth Polluters, an ecology series in which the feathered fighter, fighter battles pollution in Midland City, organizing the Beak, Beautiful Earth and Air Keepers Patrol. In 1977, it was revived as Chicken Man returns for the last time again. The winged warrior feels that time has passed him by, and he decides to open a crime-fighting school to carry on his crusade. 
we are not going to be playing any of those episodes unless we do someday run out of content. So here are a few episodes from Chicken Man. Well, the wonderful white-winged warrior is still invisible, the result of a bad accident with a chicken dissolver in his chicken cave. And now, even after taking two aspirin as the doctor ordered, he still can't see himself. And in the office of the police commissioner of Midland City... Yes, Commissioner. Miss Helfinger, the winged warrior, still can't see himself. Tell him not to worry. Hmm? I never could see him either. Fine. By the way, Commissioner. Yes, my secretary. How about that diabolical and vicious plot to destroy the world? Yes, how about that? Washington is waiting for an answer. George? D.C. Oh, take this message. Shoot. Dear D.C., in reply to request that winged warrior halt plot to destroy world, Mm -hmm. be advised that winged warrior isn't feeling so hot. Isn't feeling so hot? Ain't feeling so hot? Forget it. Right, forget it. Signed, your friend, the commissioner. That's going to be your message to Washington? George? D.C.? Okay, P.S. P.S., okay. Give my regards to the family. All right. Sorry about the world. Okay. Perhaps some other time. I've got it. Stay in touch. Is that it? Yes. What? Where is the winged warrior now? In your office. And I am? In the same place. Thank you. Uh, Invisible Winged Warrior. Uh, here, Commissioner. Any luck with the aspirin? I don't think so, Commissioner. Hmm. Whenever I put it in my mouth, I just drop to the floor. Yes. They're getting pretty dirty. Perhaps if you would try some exercises. You mean like run around the room? Yes. Okay. Are you running? Yes, I am. Run faster, Winged Warrior. Commissioner, if I run much faster, I'm going to run right into the... Yes, Miss Helfinger. I regret to inform you that the mayor of Midland City has been severely injured while entering this building. Automobile? UFO. Unidentified Unidentified falling falling object. object. Yes. Wow. Who's the UFO? You know. One chicken, invisible, with elasticity and huskiness for a fall. This is the operating room of the Great Midland City Hospital. Band-Aid. Band-Aid. And under the glaring hot lights of this operating theater, skilled specialists apply their knowledge to the Herculean task of making visible once again the invisible white-winged warrior. Is uh, this his arm or his leg here? I think it's his leg. Yeah, it's his leg. And as this great drama unfolds in a nearby waiting room, several anxious friends of the famed feathered fighter endure the long and painful wait as best they can. Among them, the police commissioner of Midland City. Uh, I'll take four cards. His secretary, Miss Helfinger. I'll pass. The mayor of Midland City. I'll take three cards. Who, by the way, has a busted mouth, the result of being struck by a UFO. Well, that's gin. Yes, they're all here waiting, hoping that the word from the operating room will soon be A-OK on the great CM. How many cards do you want? Two. But wait. Isn't there one important person missing here? Yes, where is the maternal marauder, the masked mother of the fearless feathered fighter? Where is she at this very moment her son fights for his visibility in the operating room? Who do you think's operating? Yes, of course. Who else? All right, bring in the chicken soup. Chicken soup. Chicken soup. Chicken soup. All right, mouth open. Mouth open. Mouth open. Mouth open. Contact. Oh, that wasn't my mouth, Mother. That wasn't his mouth. That wasn't his mouth. That wasn't his mouth. Try again. Try again. Try again. Well, that was my mouth, Mother. And now, 
The moment everyone has waited for. It is here. Hey, look, you can see his wings. Look, his feathers. And his beak. It's my boy. Well, once again, a mother's great devotion and noble heart has overcome enormous odds for the love of her son. Her simple tools, patience, understanding, love, and hot chicken soup right out of the... It is a Saturday night in Midland City, and a weirdly costumed figure roams the city's dark and dangerous streets. Ah, yes, and as the strange figure walks beneath the streetlight, we see now it is a teddy bear. A teddy bear? But wait, there's another costumed figure following the teddy bear. And this one we immediately recognize as the most fantastic crime fighter the world has ever known. And see how he takes a small electronic device from his utility belt and... This is the uh, wonderful White Wing Weekend Warrior. Would you open Channel C, please? Channel C? The chicken channel. Right. Hey, is this Chicken Man? <clears throat> That's right. Hey, so how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Would you just... Are open... you staying out of trouble? <clears throat> yes, would you open... Oh, I'm done. Are you really getting... Yes, I suppose I oh, do. Like when you were in that stupid dungeon. Yes, a very narrow escape. <laughs> that really broke me up. <laughs> Would you please open channel? Oh, you really do some dumb things. Yes, just open channel C for me. <laughs> it's open, jerky. Uh, Commissioner. Here, winged warrior. This is the wonderful White Wing Weekend Warrior Report. Really dumb. <laughs> Would you please get off the line? I have a suspect, Commissioner. What does your suspect look like, winged warrior? Well, the suspect looks very much like a... Yes? Like a teddy bear. A teddy bear? He really does, Commissioner. He really, he really looks like a teddy bear. I'm not you're kidding. You're kidding. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. You're kidding. He's been roaming the streets for several hours now, Commissioner. Uh, what do you think this means, feathered fighter? Yeah, I want to hear this. Well, it can mean only one of four only things. One. One, there's a teddy bear out for a long walk. Uh, two. Uh, two, there isn't a teddy bear out for a long walk. Four. Three. Uh, yes, three. Uh, three, I don't know a teddy bear when I see one. I'll buy that. And four. And four, it's therefore a bunny rabbit. A bunny rabbit! <laughs> uh, what is your plan, winged warrior? Yeah, what's your plan? Well, I thought I'd continue my tale. Say it. On the bunny's tail. <laughs> this is the winged warrior signing off over and out. Over and out, winged warrior. Well, just what kind of a caper is developing here? Who is that rabbit and or teddy bear? And where is the rabbit and or teddy bear going? To a pig? Well, in our last very exciting episode, the wonderful white-winged warrior was stalking the streets of Midland City in pursuit of a teddy bear. Yes, a teddy bear. This is the commissioner's office. And I am the wonderful white-winged weekend warrior. Ms. What do you want, winged warrior? I have a report on the teddy bear. We didn't think you'd ever call. Yes, I've been tailing the teddy bear for the last four hours. Go ahead. And it just walked into the Midland City Hotel. The teddy bear did that? Yes. Oh. <clears throat> I think it checked into a room. Well, Teddy is terribly tired. Okay, Miss Helfinger. Uh... Oh, and isn't the big chicken boy tired, too? No, I'm fine. Why doesn't you... him go Betty Pie, too? May I speak with the commissioner, please, Miss Helfinger? Commissioner. Yes, I am. And I am You're your my secretary. secretary. The teddy bear shadow is calling. 
Greetings, Weekend uh, Wings Warrior White. Uh, Commissioner. Yes, I am. About that big teddy bear I've been tailing. Yes, what about the teddy bear's tail? It just chucked into a hotel room, Commissioner. The tail? Uh, no, the whole teddy bear. Well, this can mean only one thing. And that is? Teddy is terribly tired. Okay, I'm going to uh, speak with the room clerk, Commissioner. Listen, Winged be... Warrior. Yes. Why don't you speak with the room clerk? This is the Winged Warrior signing off. Yes. Uh, how do you do? Yes. I am the wonderful white-winged weekend warrior. Do you have reservations? Can't give you a room without reservations. I would like to make an inquiry. What about? Uh, just a few minutes ago, a teddy bear checked into this hotel. Yes. Isn't that a little unusual? No. It isn't? Not if it had reservations. I mean, for a teddy bear to check into a room. That's not so unusual. It isn't? Teddy must be terribly tired. <clears throat> Where is your house phone, please? Right there. Thank you. Yes? Uh, teddy bear's room, please. I'm sorry, but we don't have a teddy bear registered. Oh? We have a Max bear. Uh, no. How about a Chicago bear? No. Buddy bear? No. Baby bear? Oh, uh, never mind. Draft bear? Polar bear? Wow! Aren't there a lot of bear people in that hotel? And what about that polar bear? Polar! Where have we heard that name before? Just for one 
Psycho Babble by um, somebody. Fru Fru. And before that, we played a song of some kind. In Transit by Mark Hoppus off the actual Alice in Wonderland soundtrack. Fantastic. So, um, if you're just joining us, you've been listening to The Alternative Show. And you have fantastic timing. We're almost at the end of our show, but before we go... Get out a pen and paper. It's time for spell speak. So, if you can keep up, you'll be able to decipher this very important message 
Once you're done, be the first to email me this message at trevor at kskq.org and you'll get a prize. Need to hear it again? The show will be up in the archive section at kskq.org later. Here we go. B I R G I N I T Y L I K E B U B B L E, comma, O N E P R I C K A L L G O N E, period. Our closing song tonight will be Time to Pretend by MGMT. Coming up after this show is um, Whistling in the Dark. You, uh, thank you for listening. If you had feedback or suggestions for the show or just want to say hi, email me at trevor at kskq.org. Tune in again next Tuesday at 7 on kskq.org at 94.9 FM. And uh, in closing, I wanted to read one more quote from the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland book. The white rabbit put on his spectacles. Where shall I begin, please, your majesty? I already read this one. Here we go. Tut, tut, child, said the Duchess. Everything's got a moral. If only you can find it. How true. You've been listening to The Alternative Show, which would not be possible without substantial donations from Anna Septic and Earl E. Bird. Created by Aaron Tires and Billy Club, with producer Terry Cloth, editor May Belene. Our research team of Barbara Blacksheep and Shirley U. Jess, librarian Anita Hanjob, production coordinator Matt Tress, studio engineers Idaho and Randy Peters. Special thanks to Howie Kisses, High Marks, Phil R. Monick, Harry P. Ness, Hugh Suck, and my good friend Richard Tease, patent lawyer Meg O'Tun, Mary Kay cosmetic saleswoman Doris Close, and of course our French teacher Mademoiselle Viva La France. A very special thanks to Al Gore for inventing the internet, without which this nearly live streaming broadcast would not be possible. This show is broadcast live on location at Walt Disney's Tomorrowland theme park in Disneyland, France. Où est la piscine dans le Disneyland Resort? C'est plus bon, magnifique! Featuring the host with the most, Trevor S. Thomas, and yours truly, Alan Wrench. You're listening to KSKQ 94.9 FM, Ashland Radio, a product of the Multicultural Association of Oregon. Thank you, and good night. You